Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is where we are at this morning. You know, the Bible gives us quite the landscape of a lot of different characters in, in history and God's people and working out of God's will in the world. A lot of people there. Uh, we get to follow their lives quite a bit. Um, some of them are examples of faith. Some of them are examples of, of failure. We get a lot of people to look at. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of people mentioned in the scriptures. And for a few of them, we actually get to look into their hearts and minds in some ways. When um, the Lord gives us that privilege, I think we can with Moses early in the scriptures. Uh, in some ways, in a few places, we can see what's going on in his heart and mind. Especially in the book of Deuteronomy, as he, it's not just an account of his, of his life there in but then, you know, the book of Deuteronomy really reveals some things. I think book of Jer- I think Jeremiah, we get to look into Jeremiah's life. We see his prophecies, obviously, in, in, the, in, the, in what was given him in the book of Jeremiah. But then we get to look and see into his heart and mind in the, um, in the book of Lamentations. Um, certainly the book of uh, Psalms gives us um, a behind-the-scenes peek into David's heart and mind. You know, there's a lot recorded about David. He was always in trouble, always on the run, a lot of privileges, a lot of problems. We get to see those um, workings of, of a man of faith and, and failure, too, in the book of Psalms. Um, you know, I go to the New Testament, I think you get a good, good glimpse into Paul's life. And, um, but I think also here, Solomon. Um, you know, the Bible tells us a little bit about Solomon, his biography, but then we get, I think, in the book of Ecclesiastes, I think we get to look into his mind and who he is in a specific point of his life. And it's, I don't think that's just for uh, curiosity's sake. I think the Lord wants us to, to take a good look at Solomon. And, um, you know, Solomon, of course, you know, Solomon was the son of David. Uh, Solomon's the third king in Israel after uh, Saul and then uh, David, his uh, Solomon's father, and uh, there's a lot of benefits, obviously, to being David's son. Certainly, you had a front row seat on all that the Lord was doing. Um, Solomon certainly had a pretty rich spiritual heritage handed to him by his father, and um, you know, David. David had a lot of things to emulate in his life. Certainly, um, we can we know that. But you know, in some ways, there are some places and times and places where. Um, you know, it's the sign is hung out, do not be like David in his personal life. I think he had some gross failures. And so uh, Solomon's handed uh, that spiritual heritage, pretty rich. Um, but also he's then, he is um, called by the Lord to be king in Israel. And um, with that comes obviously some, some special privileges and special responsibilities. Um, so... Uh, Back in First Kings, um, you know, as David is is talking to Solomon, as Solomon is is getting ready to ascend to the throne, David's about to die. In First Kings chapter two, it says this: days of the days the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon's son, saying, "I go the way of all the earth." Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, 
saying, if your sons take heed to their way and walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul, he said, he shall, you shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel. Uh, you know, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty significant spiritual heritage that um, Solomon has got his, got his hands on there as he comes in to be king. And, uh, you know, I think Solomon had more than that going for him, too. If you go uh, into the next chapter, 1 Kings chapter 3, as Solomon ascends to the throne, um, he has uh, a, a privilege and an opportunity from the Lord to ask for anything. He meets him, uh, the Lord meets Solomon in a dream, in a vision at night, and says, ask Solomon, what do you want? And Solomon um, makes a very wise choice, and he realizes as king, you know, I could ask for the life of my enemies, I could ask for wealth, I could ask for long life, you know, all the things I think we would think of. It would be appropriate for any king to ask for, but he, he makes a very wise choice, and he asks for wisdom to know how to fulfill this, this call of God on his life. And uh, the Lord is very pleased with that and obviously grants that because he didn't ask for that other stuff because what he asked for was so good, the Lord decides to give him all that other stuff too. And so uh, Solomon really has the opportunity for some excellent things in his life, spiritually. I mean, um, I mean can, you, can you think of a better beginning to ministry and to an adult life following the Lord than what Solomon has been handed? I mean, he's got every privilege. He's, he's wealthy. He's got privilege and power. But he's also got a rich, rich, rich spiritual heritage from his parents and a, little, and a special, special anointing from the Lord. And so I think we ought to expect Solomon to um, really impact the world. I mean, you think of where Israel is in the world, right? Specifically, Israel is situated in the, in the world in such a manner to reach anybody who would be traveling east to west, north to south. You had to go through Israel. Israel's at the crossroads of a lot of things going on in the world. And um, wow, this is a setup for Solomon to reach the world. I mean, he, I mean you, I, I, you, if you just picked that up and put all those things together, you would think, wow, I can't wait to see what the Lord's going to do here. This guy's going to, the, the world's going to be different after Solomon. But Ecclesiastes, um, I think, gives us a glimpse into Solomon late in his life in uh, what we find is very, very different from what we see going in. Um, you know, I don't, we, people debate when Ecclesiastes is written. We don't really know exactly. It doesn't give us any time frames. But uh, he, he talks about things that he's done. He said he's, he's spent all his time and energy and he lists, you know, I, I built, I you know, studied, I partied, I did all these things. And it sounds like somebody who's later in life. It's, it seems to be the best place to set Ecclesiastes. And when we read Ecclesiastes, we do not see a person who is very spiritually fruitful. I mean, this guy, when you read just these few verses we did in chapter 9, if you've been with us for the rest of Ecclesiastes, you know, this guy is lost in a haze of discouragement. Um, he's got a terrible fatalistic outlook. I mean, the only thing he can say about life, it's, it's all a waste of time. Uh, he is very materialistic. He doesn't care 
about what happens. Uh, he can't see God doing anything positive. What happened to this guy? Uh, you know, if anybody had an opportunity to to do something magnificent for the Lord, it was Solomon. And uh, wow, we see him later in life, and he is a mess, man. Uh, so I think we ought to take a look at um, Ecclesiastes from that standpoint. Here we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Um, I'm going to read the whole chapter. So follow along in your own Bible. It says, For I considered all this in my heart, so that I could declare it all. Again, Ecclesiastes is, again, Solomon writing to anybody who would listen, and um, he's had that power and privilege uh, that the world envies, un, you know, uh, unmeasurable wealth. So much wealth that silver was considered like dirt clods. It just, yeah, this is worthless. Everything else is gold. He's got access and privilege. The culture just says, do whatever you want. That's the way it was for kings back then. He's done it all. So now he's talking about it all. I consider all this in my heart so that I could declare it. I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them all. Already we're kind of, kind of you know, tripping over even just this chapter, tripping over the things he says. That's not the, the, the wording of somebody whose heart is tuned into the Lord very closely. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. Everybody dies. He says the same thing happens to them. They all get sick. They all get hungry. What's the point? He says, verse 3, There is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of man are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. What a happy verse. Aren't you, came, aren't you glad you came this morning, huh? But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Wow, this guy is, this guy's mind is so clouded. He is not very spiritually minded. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. As uh, also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. Now, you don't have to spend too long as a believer. Just really open up your Bible in the New Testament and see that the things that he's saying, wow, they, there's, a, there's a lot of light that contradicts and would, would help him. Where, where is, why isn't he speaking about these things? Why, why aren't those things in his heart and mind? I mean, granted, he didn't have the New Testament, but he does have truth and light. Yeah, this guy's this guy's lost in his mind spiritually. Am I saying he's lost eternally? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying his mind and his spiritual life is not in a good place. Verse seven <clears throat> Go eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has accepted your works. Let your garments always be white and your head lack no oil. Just go do what you want to do. Live joyfully with a wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. 
Wow, what, a, what an anniversary card for that, huh? Uh, which you has given you under the sun all your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and the labor in which you perform under the sun. Uh, you know, if this guy was given a seminar, I'd get up and walk out at that point. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill. In other words, hard work doesn't pay. All, the, all that you, you want to excel in as a person and an individual and go forward in life, eh, it's a waste of time. You don't know what's going to happen. Verse 12, uh, excuse me, middle of verse 11, but time and chance happen to them all. For man also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in an evil time, what only suddenly falls upon them. Really, that's all you have to say, Solomon, about life? Time and chance? Time and chance? Really? I would not want this guy influencing anybody spiritually that I had a chance to uh, advise. I'd say, stay away from this guy. This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built a great snare, great, built great snares around it. Now there was found in, a poor, found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Great, nice story. Yet no one remembered the poor man, that same more poor man. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. (laughs) Wow, this guy. Uh, Well, you know, I think Solomon's heart and mind are peeled open here in some ways for us so that we could see uh, the dangers of um, ignoring your spiritual life, of playing fast and loose with God's word, of a careless spiritual life. Solomon had every privilege to begin with, and uh, he could not find um, a reason to stay in God's word. In the midst of all that he had and all that he did, he, he ignored God's word and ended up in this place. Uh, look, look at what he is. Let's even get a handle on where he is here. Um, you know, he, he says basically in the beginning of chapter 9, he says, because we lack control over our own life, you know, everyone's going to die, rich, poor, smart, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, they're all going down. Uh, everybody's going to be forgotten. Uh, you have a meaningless life. Uh, life isn't predictable. Hard work and wisdom don't pay off. Chances are everything you worked for will be wiped out by somebody who comes along. Uh, it's not a godly outlook. It's not spiritually minded. He's certainly not winning anybody to the Lord with that message. It's encapsulated his problems here. Well, he, you know, from the standpoint of spiritual understanding, what's, what's, what has he got? Well, he's lost his eternal perspective. I mean, I think that's obvious. All he can think about is 
the material end of life. And end means nothing to him. He's not living in the light of eternity. He's lost sight of heaven. I mean, it's just, yeah, find something to do down here, enjoy it, and when it's all over, it's over. Really, that's all you can say. He's ignoring spiritual realities. He's really lost his spiritual compass. He's no longer uh, understanding life from the, from, the, from the standpoint of the lens of Scripture. He's just looking at things and, yeah, meaningless. Look, uh, you know, as king in Israel, he would have a special call, you know, for being king of Israel. It's a unique position. But still, Solomon's just one person. He's not unique as a man, as a person. Um, his, his spiritual life is the same as anybody else's. Um, we don't have a full account of Solomon's life, really, in the biography parts, the narrative parts of the Bible. Um, second, uh, excuse me, First Kings chapter 2 is where Solomon takes the throne. It talks about... Um, him ascending to the throne and cleaning up some of his father's business and some of his father's uh, enemies. He builds the temple. He builds his own house. And then we pick it up in chapter 11 of 2 Kings, and Solomon um, Solomon really has a bad end at that point. Um, let's, go to, um, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 11, and you're going to see... The life that matches Ecclesiastes. First Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read it. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after the other gods, after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. His wives turned away his heart. Uh, 700 wives? Really? No. You had maybe one wife, and then you had, well... For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, that would be the uh, Mount of Olives, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their God, to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. What happened to Solomon? We're going to give today a, you know, a title on this message. It's Don't Be Like Solomon. What happened to him? Well, we don't know the details. We're, we're just given the beginning. We're given all of, given all of his, uh, given a glimpse into all his privileges, all of the opportunities he had, the great beginning he had. And then we pick it up at the end, and he is a train wreck. Um, 
Again, there, again, there are particular dangers for the king, but you know, First Corinthians chapter ten says, "No temptation has overtaken you except for what is common to man." So the things he he experienced, the temptations he saw, might have been unique to being a king, but they're not unique to a human being. And so, um, um, you know, let's just fly one flag over Solomon's life. Proverbs 19.27 says this, Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. That's Solomon. And here's the ironic part. Solomon wrote that proverb. <laughs> that's the, that's the hard, hard part. Uh, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. And we're going to look at what the Lord told Solomon Actually, it's what the Lord told the nation of Israel that their kings were supposed to do. And again, the Lord is giving him some specifics about being a king and the dangers he's going to face. But when you strip them backwards um, and to their core, you're going to find they're no different to what he calls us to do. Um, let's go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter seven. Let's start 17. Let's start in verse 14. When you come to the land which the Lord God is giving you, and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses for himself nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. And and also it shall be that when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests and the Levites, And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren. And he goes on from there. Okay, Uh, these are the things, obviously, that, that Solomon ignored. Um. What does it say? It says, don't multiply horses. Well, you know, that would make sense to a king in some ways. Um, you know, uh, if you were just going to be a king somewhere or, or run a nation, certainly you understand that not everybody's favorably disposed towards you, and then they're going to they're try to wipe you out. So you need an army. Okay, yeah. But he says, don't multiply horses. Why not? Because... Horses were the equivalent of battle tanks at that time, right? I mean, a horseman against a foot soldier, there's no match. So more horses? Well, the idea was then you could trust in your military strength. You could trust in the resources that you could bring to bear on, well, the problem of somebody attacking you. Now, now that's a trap, isn't it? I mean, it's particular to a king, but let's boil it down backwards a little bit. We all are faced with, with, with things that come against us. It's so easy for us to trust in the resources 
that we can gather and solve our problems rather than trusting in the Lord. Again, Solomon's details were unique, but the temptation, no temptation is unique. Everybody else does this. Everybody else, you know, the whole world is, is doing this. Why can't I? Uh, you're called to something else. You're called to trust the Lord. You know, we can accumulate resources. We have accessibility to resources. Why can't I use those? Well, you can, but look, the issue is don't trust in them. Who knows what the Lord wants to do here? You need to just let the Lord handle this. If he wants you to use your resources, he'll let you know. He has resources you don't know anything about. We can do the same thing. Uh, And more than that, you know, it says don't go back to Egypt and get horses. That's kind of funny. You can get horses from a lot of different places. I'm sure they weren't the only ones selling horses. Why Egypt? Well, Egypt is a picture of the world, right? A symbol of the world in Scripture. You know, it's so tempting to go back to the world and find answers. That's what we used to do. And if we're not going to be spiritually minded, if we're going to ignore what God has said, ignore his promises, wow, you've got a problem, how are you going to solve it? Well, the Lord has said, don't go back to the world. You're not going to find anything there. I, w- I want you to trust me. I, w- I want to solve your problems. I want to handle your life. Just wait for me. I'll do it for you. You know, if this is anything, we're going to find this is um, the pride of life, right? First John 2, the pride of life. What does the scripture sell us? Well, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Compare those resources. Bring the kingdom of heaven's resources to bear on your problem. Uh, there's <laughs> problem solved. Pass it on. Pass on the next one to the next problem. It also says, blessed are the meek, so they, they shall inherit the earth. Yeah, there's some fantastic promises that should have, that can bear on our problems so that we don't go like Solomon. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus himself said this, starting in verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not the life... Not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Solomon's temptation there wasn't, wasn't unique, even though his details were unique. Uh, what else did it say? Well, it said, um, don't multiply wives, the second thing he said to Solomon. Don't multiply wives for himself. Um, you know, it was the cultural norm for the leader to have a harem, 
And why do you have a harem around? Because you love the way they decorate. No. You have one reason why you have a stack of women in the back. And, and you don't have deep, meaningful relationships with them all. I'm sorry. Um, it was completely okay to gratify all your physical lusts if you were the king. Solomon is walking in that. It's the cultural norm. Um, you know, uh, you know, today it's, it's come down much lower level uh, in our society. It's the norm to be awash in pornography. I'm sorry, but it is. Uh, you know, the scriptures tell us this is very, very dangerous. Um, the availability of the internet makes this super accessible. Uh, right now, on your smartphone, in your pocket, is there porn on your phone? It, there shouldn't be. The issue's the same for us. Purity before the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter 4 says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Solomon never told himself no. He couldn't find a reason for it. Even though the culture said, go for it, it's all yours. Turning toward the Lord, he should have said no. Uh, there's something larger going on here besides my own desires. You know, that's something we need to learn as believers is just to tell ourselves no in a lot of different ways. You know, you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and just look at yourself and say, no. And the culture isn't doing that. The culture is, is creating accessibility to things that will destroy us spiritually. And it's the norm. We have to be able to stand there and have enough Christian character to say, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. We need to stay away from that. It's the lust of the flesh, right? First John chapter 2, pride of life, lust of the flesh. But there's more here, I think, in that, because he attaches, uh, the Lord attaches something in Deuteronomy 17 to the warnings to kings about multiplying wives. He says, don't multiply wives to himself, lest his heart turn away. There's something attached to that. It's more than just not having a pure heart and not having uh, sexual purity there. Um, You know, when we open our hearts to another person that way, uh, we become extremely vulnerable to their philosophy and their viewpoint. And um, that's that's not unique to Solomon. That's unique to all of us. you know, not obeying the Lord in that one thing made it easier to step over the line in the next thing. And so, um, you know, the Satan's going to see to it that that next line is coming once he's seen that you crossed the first one. He's already compromised with multiplying wives. He knows that he's vulnerable to now worshiping false gods. First Kings you know, 11 told us that he worshiped all those gods Let's go to James chapter 1. It says um, this, verse 14, it says, Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. 
Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my, my beloved brethren. And then verse 21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive the meekness with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. God didn't warn Solomon just to take up space in the Bible. He's warning all of us, don't go there. It will destroy you. Sin will take you much farther than you ever wanted to go or ever planned on going. 2 Timothy chapter 2. The admonitions of Scripture this way is this. Fully also youthful lusts. But instead of that, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Solomon didn't do that. I guarantee you, Solomon had nobody around him who told him no. Told him, you're, you're making a huge mistake here. Why are you doing this? Solomon's temptations aren't, aren't unique to him, even though the details were specific to who he was. The other thing the Lord said to kings and to Solomon, also not only multiply wives, but it says, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Now it says greatly multiply. It doesn't say he couldn't have it. He said he couldn't stockpile it in you know, piles and piles so that you just had unimaginable quantities. Solomon walked past all of these, didn't he? Like we said, silver was so worthless and debased in, in Israel, it's like, eh. The lust of the eyes. This is the lust of the eyes, right? First John chapter 2. Again, Solomon never restrained himself here. He was given the privilege and given the okay. It's okay to, to have some wealth here. He said, but he ignored the warnings of Scripture. The danger of that, again, is, is you've heard it said, money is a great servant, but a terrible master. And uh, Jesus himself said, you can't serve two masters. If you're going to worship and serve money, then you're not going to worship the Lord and serve the Lord. doesn't mean you can't have it. It just means you don't love it, don't serve it. Again, back in Matthew chapter 6, it says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Solomon had a very materialistic, earth-centered, earth-focused outlook on life. And he was, this is one of his great problems. He walked past the command of the Lord, the warnings of Scripture, and he ended up in a terrible place. Solomon rationalized away um, a lot of warnings in Scripture. Um, somewhere along the line, and again, we don't have the full detail of his life. We only have the start and the end. Somewhere in that line, though, he had to start ignoring what the Holy Spirit said to him. He had to kind of ignore the sting of his own conscience before the Lord. You know, what we're told is that Solomon ended up greatly damaging his own relationship with the Lord. He had a terrible, fatalistic outlook. He had the opportunity to win the whole world. He's got no eternal perspective. He's got no rejoicing of hope in heaven. You know, everything stinks. Who cares? Your life is meaningless. So get lost. 
um, completely miss the opportunity to reach a lot of people. But more than that, there's more than that. It's not only is the influence he had in, in the terrible position he ended in, think of the influence he had on the rest of the nation. Yeah. If we're going to be careless with our spiritual lives and walk over those and ignore those admonitions of Scripture that are so clear, not only are we in danger, but those who we are influencing are in danger from that. Um, Equally bad is the influence on that next generation. He led the whole nation in a downward slide. Look, Solomon heard from the Lord how the Lord wanted to use him. And uh, he was careless with his spiritual life. You know, ultimately, you got to say that Solomon had grave lordship problems, didn't he? When, when he came to a point in the life where, he, where, where everything said he could do this, and yet he had the admonitions of Scripture to not do it, he ignored what the Lord said in his word, and he did what he wanted to. That's a lordship problem. The Lord is not Lord there. He went with his own desires. He let his own desires take precedence over the word, and his heart grew harder every time he did that. So, look, you know, I don't know who all is hearing this message today. Maybe there's someone out there who's a lot like Solomon. You had a rich spiritual heritage handed to you. You know maybe that the Lord has a call upon your life and you have ignored all of that and walked right over it and now you're sitting in a place where man nothing makes sense you got a bleak outlook on life nobody hears from the Lord from you there is nothing to glorify the Lord in your life and yet you can think back to a time when it wasn't that way it was a time when I knew better But all that stuff's gotten lost in just careless spiritual life management. That's, you know, yeah, that shouldn't be that way. But you know what? There's always repentance. Always repentance. The Lord has enough grace, enough mercy for you right here, right now, for you to to change that, set a different course. Uh, He can, if you just turn your heart towards him, and start to make the commitment to obey him in some things where you haven't obeyed him. He'll walk you out of those problems and your heart and mind will start to orient towards the scriptures, towards seeing the Lord. He'll give you a pure heart. He'll give you a mind to see the Lord and look through life in, in the lens of scripture. God has enough grace and mercy to give you right here, right now. Restore your, special, your, your spiritual life. Look, 1 John 1, 9, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If that's you, you want you to come forward after the, after the, the service and pray together with, with people who will be up front. We want to make sure that you get established with brothers and sisters in the Lord who will be able to pursue righteousness with you. Let's stand and finish there. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we don't want to be like Solomon. We want to follow hard after you, like Solomon's father said. So Lord, strengthen us in every way. Show us places where we have stepped over that line. 
We thank you that you have granted us repentance by the spirit that you've given to us, by which you've made us one. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.